Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Africa on the Move. I'm Haki. Today I'll be setting in for Brother Africa. Um, <clears throat> of course, um, we're going to miss Brother Africa uh, today, but uh, we'll do our best to hold it down. And with me, I have on the line some of my fellow panelists, and we'll get the show started by uh, having our panelists introduce themselves. We'll start first with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, tell the community something about yourself. Certainly. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. I'm looking uh, forward to a very informative program tonight. Uh, thanks for having me, and revolutionary greetings 
to the listening audience and fellow panelists. Uh, thanks for being here, Brother Anthony. Next, let's go to Brother Robert. Brother Robert, your, your greeting to the community. Thank you, thank you. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and uh, I am in the struggle for scientific socialism since the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years in 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. And uh, thank you for allowing me to be on the show one more time. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here, Brother Robert. And, of course, my name is Haki Kamatamishoki. I'm currently with African Awareness. And um, African Awareness um, is an organization that's pretty much dedicated to the uh, proliferation of institutions. Uh, one of the things, you know, uh, when we talk about this dichotomy between what's right and what's wrong, most of the time the lines are blurred and people don't know what's right and what's wrong. So a lot of it has a lot to do with the fact of uh, the kind of um, propaganda that's being utilized by the state to ensure that people don't have adequate knowledge to make a, 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 you know, an informed decision as to what's right and what's wrong. As a consequence, Oftentimes, we engage in uh, thoughts or activities which are counterproductive, which are uh, contributing to the oppression of, of, of one's own people without misunderstanding that uh, what we do or what we think contributes to our own oppression. So the institution has become extremely important in terms of, you know, sort of looking at that dichotomy and beginning to understand, you know, uh, what we have to do, particularly when it comes to thought and practice, what we must do in terms of alleviating the problems that we're confronted with Ultimately, you know, how we can free ourselves from such an oppressive system. Now, having said that, I want to let the audience know that we're expecting Fred uh, Hampton uh, Jr. to call in out of Chicago, and uh, he's got some information with us pertaining to uh, some help uh, that uh, they need. They're hello? in the process of. Uh... Yeah, hello? 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 Yeah, okay. All right. So they're in the process of um, losing their home, and this home has significant historical value to the African community. And so, therefore, uh, Fred Hampton Jr., uh, the son, will be here to talk more about that and what we as community can do to assist him in saving that and saving that home. Now, having said that, let's get to the community affairs, and we'll start with you, Brother Anthony, going on in your neck of the woods. Uh, certainly. Um well, uh, there is uh, there is an effort underway uh, to um, uh, the ha- campaign rhetoric that's heating up around my neck of the woods and uh, probably throughout the U.S. It's a few weeks until the ele- uh, into the uh, midterm elections, as they're called here, and also um, and also it seems like there is an intensification. Of um, uh, let's see, efforts to uh, uh, stir up hostility uh, with Venezuela, and also it turns out that um, that the, that a, a journalist based in uh, working in, based in the U.S. 
was killed in a Saudi Arabian embassy in Istanbul, no, Ankara, uh, apparently over a fistfight. That's what's uh, been uh, been reported uh, in the news recently. Yeah, you know, Brother Anthony, that, that murder of that journalist, I think his last name is Khashoggi. Uh, I yeah. Think that, that murder, I think that murder was sort of suspect. Uh, why would the U.S. have a, a vested interest in terms of highlighting uh, the murder of the journalist, particularly when the U.S. is so close to Saudi Arabia? So is this possibly a prelude to the U.S. maybe at some point uh, setting the siege to actually attack Saudi Arabia, at the very minimum, to at least go against Saudi Arabia to set up the scenario where they can eventually go in and attack Saudi Arabia. Is that plausible? Plausible, but as you indicate, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia is a very close U.S. ally. But, uh, let's see, but but, uh, circumstances can be very fluid, especially during wartime. And right now, uh, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia is in a very vicious war against uh, Yemen. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of humanitarian concerns flowing out of that, you know, as a result of that. So, um, you know, they and I think that journalists might have been been reporting on some uh, on uh, on that situation. So, uh, you know, so things are very fluid. So it could be subject to change. Uh, couldn't be, couldn't rule it out entirely. Oh, okay. Brother Robert, uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, um, the National Network on Cuba is meeting this, this weekend. I guess it should be going on now. But uh, other than that, uh, this, this Saudi Arabia thing is very suspect to me. Because what happened to the body? I mean, there's reports that the, his body was dismembered, and uh, that's not a fist fight. Um, so I, I don't know. This is a very suspect situation. They, I doubt that the U.S. and uh, at least Trump, Trump's more interested in getting that billions of dollars in uh, in uh, warfare uh, equipment sold to the Saudi Arabia than he is in investigating the the um, death of this reporter. Uh, he's made that quite clear in his own way. Uh, so I, I doubt that the U.S. will be attacking Saudi Arabia. I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. You know, you know, Brother Robert, it's very interesting that you're right. When we talk about the billions of dollars that the Saudis uh, give to the U.S., uh, not just in terms of arms sales, but just in terms of welfare, it's very, very interesting, you know, this relationship between the Saudis and America continues to exist. And the mere fact that Saudis invest so heavily in the U.S. economy, for the U.S. to even deal with this, this murder uh, as it implicates Saudi Arabia, I think is, uh, makes it very, very suspect. Uh, one of the things that, and I'm going to ask you this, uh, given the uh, particular U.S. Uh, and corporations who have been adamant uh, that uh, the, the, Saudis, the Saudis be investigated, uh, how do you think this is going to play out as far as the administration is concerned? Do you think this is something that Trump ultimately will support in terms of indict, indicting uh, the Saudis? I don't think Trump is interested in doing anything against the Saudis. That's my personal opinion from what I've seen of him. And uh, uh, 
I, I just I think he's more interested in that money and uh, and uh, he's a business person and uh, and he's has no humanitarian or human rights aspects to him. He's, he's running around campaigning, talking about how slam body slamming a reporter was a great thing, and um, so he's not interested in. He's, he's constantly saying the the news media is fake news, and he doesn't trust. He doesn't trust the news media, so he's 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 not he's not um, he's not the person to look for in terms of human rights and uh, justice in this in this situation. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Brother Robert. Now, having said that, let us go towards. I have some some real concerns. I'm gonna run them by by the panelists. Let me just start with this one. Uh, recently, Mitch McConnell of and in this, I quote, this is a statement that he made. He said the G- GOP planned all along to ram through deficit-exploding tax cuts for the rich and gut crucial social, social safety nets programs like Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare. Now, it seems to me that, you know, in, in terms of, you know, um, you know, uh, when you talk about you know tax cuts for the wealthy, and knowing that tax cutting taxes for wealthy doesn't do anything in terms of revitalizing the economy. In fact, the more money you give to the wealthy people, the more you undermine the economy. But despite this all, they're willing to do that, and they're willing to hurt a lot of people in the process. Now, in terms of humanity, brother Anthony, let me ask you this: How does this bold and how does how does this relate in terms of the the kind of callousness toward humanity? Anytime you have these tremendous tax cuts for the sole purpose of creating the possibility that you can then put the, put the economy in such dire straits that cutting, that cutting Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare uh, becomes a priority. How do you feel about that in terms of this lack of humanity? I think it's systematic of capitalism as it, uh, as it continues its existence. It becomes more and more hu- humane as it finds uh, ways of trying to save itself from its internal contradictions. It's very anti-human, and the priority it gives towards uh, tax cuts for the wealthy and maintaining this huge, humongous uh, military budget, uh, you know, bows very badly for humanity. And uh, and uh, and I think you know, and I think people are gradually waking up to that reality, which is why there there's so many states where there are these efforts that uh, at voter suppression, because uh, be, because I think the ruling class wants to maintain the status quo as much as possible. And uh, so they they want to make sure that the oppressed don't get mu- get much more of a voice than they already have in trying to uh, 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 you know deal with this situation. And uh, and uh, it's it's becoming more uh, more dire day by day. Uh, uh, the uh, the oppression of uh, People of African descent around the world is intensifying, and it's intensifying within the U.S. Uh, you know, on a daily basis. So I think people need to uh, to be aware and not be distracted by uh, by uh, 
you know, entertainment and all the other means of escapism that the society tends to provide to distract people from the truth. And so I guess you could say the concern for people transcends, you know, boundaries. And in fact, they have no use for poor people wherever they are on the planet. Is it safe to say that, Brother Anthony? Yes. Okay. Now, Brother Robert, now, you know, of, of all the cuts in terms of these so-called entitlements, Social Security, I find the probably the most, uh, for me, the most problematic. The fact is that, you know, people don't put in their, put in their time. They work, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, for this, for the Social Security, only to have it, you know, removed or eliminated. Now, what about fairness? Is fairness a concern of those, uh, you know, in this government? I don't think fairness is a concern. Um, they don't care about the working class. Trump, Trump made his his big tax uh, program cuts and uh, has benefited the wealthy and and himself and the, and the few. And uh, it was obvious that uh, the middle class and, and the lower class was going to be paying higher taxes, and that and so now that the, that, that increased the deficit. And um, now they come back and, and create this situation where they can say, okay, we got a deficit now, and uh, we need to cut these entitlement programs and the social, social service programs, et cetera. And uh, so they created this situation, and and uh, and uh, and now they they just show their contempt for the working class and. Uh, and they're only interested in enriching themselves, the top 1%, and and that's the bottom line. I mean, there's no way, way around it. Trump is just all dogma and uh, demagoguery. He, he gives this service to, to to some kind of human interest, but he has no, no nothing but contempt for the working class. Thank you. But, but, you know, Brother Anthony, what's interesting is that conservatives often say the reason why Social Security uh, uh, is in trouble is because there are not enough people who adequately work uh, to fund Social Security. And as a result of that, um, there is there are no fund, funds are decreasing as it relates to Social Security. But no one ever talks about the fact that systemic issues, that the real reason why if the people don't have jobs to put into the Social Security for future, you know, for future users, then that is a big problem. Uh, that's, that's the people's problem. It is the government's problem. That is a that is something by design. Your response. Haki, you're breaking up. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? You broke you up. I think, can you repeat the last? Uh, I can hear you now. I lost the last okay. part of your sentence. So, yeah. Okay, let me, let me just let me just um, just rephrase it. Okay, now here's the thing. Um, you know, um, you know, often conservatives make the position, take the position, that the reason why Social Security is in decline is because there's not enough people contributing to Social Security in terms of you know, you know, taxes for Social Security. So when you work, the taxes are taken out of your paycheck. To, 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 which which is used towards Social Security, which benefits people who retire, who who need that money. That's a, that's the reason they give. 
but the reasoning falls short when you look in terms of you know Social Security being a, a trust fund and not an account. And, and, and the distinction is that in terms of a trust fund, the money is not always there. Uh, with an account, the money is always there. So what I'm saying is that these, these officials, these government officials or the system, is in fact creating a situation where Social Security inevitably is going to decline. Is there any legitimacy to what I'm saying? There is. And also another factor, too, is the fact that it's caused by uh, the high unemployment rate among the masses of the people, which the way they measure unemployment undercounts the level of, uh, of people that are unemployed. And there are millions that are unemployed or either working at, at, at uh, working for wages that do that do not provide adequate income for food clothing and shelter and they and that's the real reason why there might not be enough funds for social security but if uh if the u s government decided to re uh to cut its military spending uh, its military spending is astronomical, well beyond it, uh, you know, needs for defense uh, uh, for defense purposes. But if it was to cut, uh, 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 analyze that budget and cut some of the fat from that, it would have there would be enough to provide adequate social security. For, uh, uh, for for the entire U.S. population and create a situation in which uh, people could get the sufficient training they need so that they could get jobs that that adequately met their needs. But right now, because... Uh, because of imperialism primarily in all of its manifestations, it is eating the resources of the U.S. dry. Very good point. Very good point, Anthony. Uh, and that's, that's a point that conservatives never talk about. They tend to blame the victims. And when they talk about social security, as though somehow it's people, lack of job issues that's responsible for the decline of social security. But in fact, Systematically, they're doing all they can to destroy Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare. And people need to understand systematically this is what they're doing. And for Mitch McConnell to come out and say this is exactly what we're doing, I thought was I thought was was, was, was very uh, I thought was uh, sensational, because no one would expect them to be honest and actually come out and say yes, we're intentionally trying to sabotage, destroy Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare. So I thought that was extraordinary. Brother, Brother Robert, now I, you know, I, I find that, you know, one of the things when we talk about the trust fund and also when we talk about Social Security, we talk about being a trust fund. And one of the things that's just like any trust, uh, you, can, you, can, you can dip into it. Uh, George Bush, uh, one of the things that he did was he, he took the, he, hold on a second. He, one of the things that he did was that he, one of the things that he did was that he dipped into the Social Security Trust Fund to fund military adventures throughout around the world. Now, just in terms of fairness, Brother Robert, uh, let me ask you this. 
do you think when he took that money out of the Social Security Trust Fund, he realized that he was hurting a lot of working class people in this society? I think he understood he was going to be depriving people of, 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 of the right to, uh, to Social Security and uh, benefits that they, they accrued. I think he understood that, but I think he, his priorities were such that he, did, he didn't give a dog on uh, they were they were not high enough on his priority list, and um, you know, and definitely they're not anywhere near on Trump's priority list. And so, uh, you know, we we've been victims of the of the Republican Democrat um, uh, little clique, this right wing, uh, two wings of the, of the Bourgeois Party. Quick, and um, they together have have uh, have just decimated the, the the social system, and uh, and uh, now they're crying deficit, deficit, and they need to balance the budget. And it's just all a game. It's a game of give and take, and uh, they're taking from the poor and giving it to the rich. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Panelists, we've got Brother Fred Hampton Jr., uh, Brother, Brother Fred Hampton Jr., you on the line? Oh, yes, hello? Hello, Brother Fred Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, we got you on the line, so you can uh, tell the audience exactly how can we help you in terms of you know, some of the concerns that you have in respect to uh, the house that your, uh, your father grew up in. So the mic is all yours. First and foremost. Uh, thank you for giving us giving the opportunity um, to get talk to the listeners, to the people in general. We are we are at the Hampton House right now. We have a, a long, a, a, a long, hard campaign we're fighting um, the last last few months to save the Hampton House, the house in which Chairman Fred Hampton grew up in. And it was set to uh, they said to go to auction this this Tuesday coming up, but we just heard now we may get we may get a continuance up to thirty days, but that but, but we can't get comfortable. We cannot get comfortable. Um, we we got we got a uh, a GoFundMe set up at GoFundMe dot uh, com forward slash Save the Hampton House again GoFundMe dot com forward slash Save the Hampton House. Also, um, uh, PayPal PayPal dot me forward slash Save the Hampton House. And again, we're trying to raise between seventy and two hundred thousand dollars. This is uh, we I'm learning as we go about this whole predatory lending. Different mortgage companies, the banksters and gangsters that you know, get down on our people. So it's up in the air. We're, we're looking at, but we we be hitting all, all the rings. So we need we need people to come uh, uh, deal, help us deal with this pressing date that's over our head. Okay, so brother, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Yes, uh, in yes. terms of this this project to raise the funds, you know, to save the house. How long have you been working on this project? Say it again, say it again, brother. Say it again. Yes. Hello? How okay, now how long have you been working on on this project? Oh, uh uh I would say probably the last four months because a lot of stuff is being brought to our attention. Um about uh, regards to you know what I'm saying, the uh dependent situation about the house was like like five months. My uncle passed um probably eight months ago and that was that was Chairman Fred's last sibling. So we we've been here since then. We've been in, uh, doing a renovation to the house, you know, so with little or no funds. We've been right here doing that. So technically, the last five, last four or five months, we put out the call to aid and assist with the resources. 
Because uh, so as soon as we brought to our attention, we can put the word out. Oh, okay, let me ask you one final question and before I turn it over to my sure. panelists. <laughs> uh, now, in terms of historical uh, historical uh, properties, have you have you all looked into in terms of making the Hampton House a historical uh, property? Yes, yes, we, yes. Uh, in fact, there was a discussion that came with this, this morning's meeting. Um, uh, we, 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 we try to reach out, we make some phone calls now. We shoot, we, we, we hit all arenas, so we try to work on that too as we speak. Yes, we were definitely on that, definitely. Hey, Brother Anthony, any questions for Brother Fred Hampton Jr.? Uh, certainly. Uh, revolutionary greetings, uh, Brother Fred. Uh, thanks for uh, participating uh, 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 on uh, this program tonight. I was um, wondering if you could talk a little bit about, uh, for those in the audience who may not be very familiar, the work of your father, um, what influence did um, uh, did his uh, did his growing up in the Chicago area have on him, and what were some of um, his contributions uh, to our you know liberation struggle? I'm I'm in the home. Revolutionary greetings to you, to you also, brother, and. Um... And again, appreciations for giving me the opportunity to be on be, be on the air with y'all. Um, that he, I'm in a home right now, uh, which he grew up in. In fact, when the telephone was called to be tapped by the federal government, and uh, my, my grandmother my grandmother's home, his his mother's home, the Washington D.C. bureau thought it was a typo. They cannot believe that he's 14 years old because uh, this was in response to him taking the uh, junior NAACP from about seven to 300 members in about a seven and a half month time period. And so um, at age 14, they called for his telephone to be tapped. At age 19, he became the deputy chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, which grew to be the largest chapter of the Black Panther Party in the world. Uh, and on his tenure, contrary to uh, misinformation that, uh, such as that Reverend Jesse Jackson organized the Rainbow Coalition, it was actually Chairman Fred that organized the, real, the, the Rainbow Coalition, uh, in a city that was remains to be one of the most toxic segregated cities in the country. Even at the federal government's own account, they said the Black Panther Party was in existence. There was a record low to what they called black on black crime. Um, he was a political prisoner on some Trump. They gave him some Trump, a number of different Trump charges. Um, he, he, uh, when, uh, when he came back out when he was released. Came back out still touching down, saying the same. Still that uh, that revolutionary fervor, if not more intense, still committed to the struggle of our people. And uh, it's, it, it was it, he had a, an impact that. Uh, it was, it was international, you know what I'm saying, which we, which we are witnessing. Uh, we can attest to the fact that people have been calling from, you know, from, from, from Brazil, France, you name it, Africa, you know what I'm saying, talking about you know, of this whole campaign, the importance of this, saying, fighting, this campaign, uh, fighting for this campaign to save the Hampton House. Mm-hmm. Hey. hey, thanks for sharing that. And um, how are... Um, how how are things uh, progressing uh, with uh, uh, the Bl- uh, the Black Panther Party uh, uh, presently, uh, particularly in the Chicago area? Well, the Black Panther Party Cubs is an organization that's carrying on legacy of the Black Panther Party, the international organization. We are moving. We are um, have our programs such as the Triple C's, as Children, Community, and Cubs. 
We are, uh, which is done in the spirit of Black Panther Party free, uh, first free, uh, free breakfast program. We have the Free of All Radio, which is done every Wednesday, down the spirit of Black Panther Party newspaper. So we are, you know, we say the Black Panther Party was a tough act to follow, a tough act to follow. But we try our best to walk in there, not footsteps, but their Panther Paul steps. Okay. Brother Robert, the session for Brother Fred Hampton Jr. Um, greetings, Brother Fred. Uh, um, um, it's good to hear from you. Um, it's good to, that you're able to be on. Uh, um, I'm not sure what questions I have. I noticed that your father was a revolutionary and, a, and definitely a freedom fighter and, and you know, as a martyr for the, the cause. And uh, he was unjustly murdered there, and uh, and uh, we all regret that. Um, uh, you're saying the, the party is uh, functioning there in Chicago and that uh, you're doing good things. Uh, and that's good to know. Um, um, I really don't have any questions at this time. But thank you again for uh, being on on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, Dr. Fred, you've been going to recap in terms of how the people can get in contact with you or to support you in your yes, calls. Uh, we would appreciate that. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, uh, get, uh, email address, save the Hampton House. Save the Hampton House at gmail.com. Save the Hampton House at gmail.com. Um, Eric, uh, we can reach on the phone, Eric code 773-256-9451, 773-256-9451. Again, save the Hampton House at gmail.com. People can support at going to gofundme.com forward slash save the Hampton House. They go to also PayPal, paypal.me forward slash um, save, save the Hampton House. And again, you know, we appreciate uh, you, uh, you all give us opportunity to come on, on the air. And let's get the word out again. Uh, uh, the support of the people, hey, it's, 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 it's necessary. So again, we appreciate the people's support thus far. And again, we we uh, we don't, we're in the process of making this a landmark historical museum. And with that being said, let's make history. Let's take history. Let's take history. Save the Hampton House. Brother Fred Hampton Jr., we want to thank you very much. And of course, uh, we'd like to pay homage to your father for all he did to advance the black struggles, you know, here in America. And uh, certainly we'll put the word out and make sure that people get the word that uh, we need money's flowing that way to get this project done because your brother, your father meant so much to us, you know, not only as a leader, but as well, a figure. And we, and we thank you very much for taking the time to come on well, and talk to us. Thank you. Thank you. Right on. Peace. Okay, that was Fred Hampton Jr. Uh, he's uh, the son of Fred Hampton Sr. Uh, for those of you who don't know, his brother Anthony alluded to, uh, his his father did great things in terms of the, the advancement of, of black black struggles here in America, and we owe a great debt to his father in terms of his sacrifice, you know, his love of his his love of his people, and uh, we encourage the audience to do all they can to get in contact with brother. In terms of you know saving the Hampton House, it is a, is a historical icon, and um, we encourage people to definitely uh, to get involved. Now, having said that, let, let's get back to the to the subject. Um, okay, As a matter of fact, join us right now. 
is Brother Africa. Brother Africa, you want to introduce yourself? Brother Africa? No, I guess not. Okay. All right. Let's go to the next to the next subject. Okay. Um, a minds um, panelists is black voter suppression. You know, one of the things earlier, Brother Anthony, we talked about the uh, midterm elections and the impact it's going to have on the people in this in this country. And I got to say that one of the things that occurs me to no end is that the kind of monies, you know, coming, you know, you know, dark monies that are coming from nowhere in support of these right wing Republican candidates, I uh, think is very frightening. Uh, but brother Anthony, let me ask you this: uh, sh- Should we um, discount the seriousness um, of which the Republican Party uh, represents in terms of the aspirations of humanity society? Uh, they don't. They represent, as a matter of fact, the uh, the Democratic Party as well represents uh the interests of the ruling class of this society society and they get their funding and their control from the ruling class and they're only beholden to the ruling class now the rhetoric aside the rhetoric may say that they uh you, uh, you know that they're for various sectors of the people, but for the most part, they could they could care less about the working class at all, except around election day, uh, when uh, you know that the various political officers offices that are up for grabs that depend upon the popular vote. That is the only time. Uh, the working masses have any sort of voice, and then it is uh, stifled a lot of times uh, because of of uh, various states have voter suppression legislation, including uh, northern states, uh, either states that are not that far south, like Virginia and Ohio, and uh, and it makes it very difficult for the working masses to participate even if they want to in these elections because of that. Yeah, you know, one of the things, Brother Robin, let me ask you this, that there's this real paradox. Uh, one of the things we often talk about democracy, of course, you and I understand America has never been a democracy, nor was it designed to be a democracy. But nonetheless, the, the popular uh the public conception is that, in fact, democracy exists in America. Now, if democracy exists in America, why would states spend so much in terms of nine the citizenry the right to vote? Because the, the ruling class is only interested in empowering people who are going to support support the ruling class. The the one percent uh, is is is. Is looking for people who are going to be their their uh, lackeys, and so every 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 election, the uh, people scramble to get the money from from the the parties in order to be on the ballot, and, uh, and that means they have to jump through the hoops that that are required by the parties uh, in regulations. And rules, etc. And uh, so they they uh, they compromise.
victimize themselves and, and mold themselves into what these parties want. And uh, these parties serve the interests of the, of the 1% and uh, are funded by the 1%. And so people, you know, in order to pretend want to make want to make that their bread and butter, that's their job, that, that's how they're going to get their income. And so, so then they're willing to compromise, compromise even more in order to maintain themselves. And so each year they come back, you know, looking to to uh, get reelected, and uh, and they give lip service to democracy and uh, the population, the popular vote, and uh, and uh, and they try to get, convince people that that they are serving their interests and they're doing things for them. But if, if you look at it, usually it's only one, two, or three things that they they point out that they're interested in in having uh, uh, it, that may appeal to the working class in some form or fashion, but they're usually not very, very critical things. It's just little things like and one of the one of the Republicans' favorite things is, is, to, is to talk about family values and morality, etc. And uh, and they try to appeal to people that way, and the religious community is, is susceptible to that kind of rhetoric. Uh, but uh, you know, in terms of the actual, be putting the putting people in power who who are interested in serving the masses of people, that's the last thing on their agenda. They're they're trying to perpetuate themselves, to make careers out of out of the office. And uh, just keep getting reelected year after year, and uh, dumping on the working class with the legislation, and uh, and that's what we see going on, and that's what's been going on. And the Democrats, on the one hand, try to take the left wing of the of the bourgeois party, and the, and the Republicans on the right wing of the bourgeois party, and the people. You know, see the little differences between them, and so they vote for the lessons of the evil. But uh, not, fundamentally, there's no qualitative change taking place, and uh, that's the problem. And uh, and uh, Trump represents the the most vicious right wing of the of the, of the Republican Party, and uh, and uh, it's a shame that. That uh, he was allowed to get in the office, and I'm wondering if he's going to get another term. But uh, he's managed to dupe the people. They, people, the white working class, and uh, seems to respond to his rhetoric and uh, his his anti-immigrant rhetoric, and his homophobia, his his uh, his his. Uh, degradation of women and his uh, appeal to the 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 mob by um um de- de- degrading and uh uh putting down the news reporters and uh he's he's a demagogue you know knows how to play on the backward feelings of the people and uh he perpetuates himself that way. Thank you.
You know, Brother Anthony, yes. just to follow up on a point that you made earlier with respect to the Democrats' uh, complicity and uh, or duplicity rather, and uh, you know, you know, black voter suppression. One of the things, according to the Sentencing Project, uh, 7.4% of the African uh, eligible voting population disenfranchised. We talk about in excess of six million people. Now, six million people who denied the right to vote. Now, why is the response of the Democrats uh, uh, nil or totally lacking? What, what precisely? What, what, how do the Democrats benefit from not, you know, exposing um, voter suppression, particularly as it relates to African people? Uh, well, a lot of the, um, uh, well, part of this uh, issue is that a lot of Democrats hold the same views as Republicans overall, especially when it comes to this, uh, you know, to uh, uh, foreign policy. And more and more, it applies to domestic policy as well. And uh, both parties are really interested in the maintenance of uh, European uh, supremacy. And uh, they don't care about the masses of the people. I want to uh, uh, interject something to, to, a point, to one of the points that Brother Robert made. In the last election, uh, the majority of the electorate actually voted for Hillary Clinton. And uh, that's something that the media doesn't point out very much and is often forgotten. It was the Electoral College that uh, selected Trump as uh, president. And uh, this is of significance. At the end of the day, uh, uh, the U.S. will still probably be at, uh, be at, at war with a, with a dozen different countries. But uh, my point is that uh, for all the uh, – uh, uh, the, 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 the the cries of democracy uh around the world uh, uh you know that that uh that that everybody should hold fair and democratic elections uh the most uh, the highest political office in the US is not decided by one person one vote it is desi- it is desi- decided by a click uh, that's uh, that that's chosen at the government level. That is not accountable to the masses of the people at all. So even in this society that claims to be the greatest democracy in the world, the people do not have uh, do, uh, do not have the ability to uh, to, to to choose the the highest levels of leadership. You know, you know, Brother Robert, uh, what Brother Anthony is saying um, um, uh, raises the point. Uh, one of the things that when you look at society, poll after poll continually, continuously say that most people in the society are Democrats. But yet, Republicans are supposed to be you know, uh, successful in office. Well, if most people in the society are, in fact, Democrats, but Republicans continue to win, can you tell me perhaps what, what in the world is really going on? Well, the so-called
all Democrats don't come out to vote sometimes. Uh, uh, that's part of the problem in terms of Democrats getting elected. Uh, Democrats uh, come out come out when they want to, and uh, and uh, more more people come out during the presidential election than during the off-season elections. And plus, there are people who are suppressed. Uh, there's voter ID requirements. There's all sorts of schemes that that uh, the Republicans are dreaming up now to, to in order to keep people from being actually able to vote. And that's because the, the bigger the turnout, usually that means the more Democrats are turning out. Turning out. But uh, the voter suppression takes away a lot of votes, and uh, that's, that's, that was part of the, why Trump got elected. A lot of, a lot of the votes that would have been cast for him weren't able to, to be cast. Uh, uh, but uh, the Democrats, you know, uh, they, they have a, a lot of people who identify as Democrats, but they don't always come out to vote, and uh, that's a problem for them. Thank you. You know, Brother Anthony, just to buttress, I want to follow up on something that you said earlier. Uh, one of the things, when we talk about electoral college, historically it was used in terms of as a sort of a, 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 a balancing tool in terms of balancing the amount of power a state has. So as one state will have more power than the other in terms of representation. But one of the things that's problematic for me is that when you talk about a democracy or one, one person, one vote, the electoral college tends to be anti or, or undemocratic. What is your response to that position? I think that's an accurate assessment uh, because the way uh, the, 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 the votes in the electoral college are weighed, it is based upon uh, a, lot of, a, a, a lot of states, uh, from, uh, from what I recall, have a a, a, a winner take all system, which what which means that whatever uh, candidate gets a majority of uh, the popular vote, they get all the electors in that state. So it kind of like skews the. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 vote in a way, and uh, the more populous uh, uh, state you are, the more electors you get. As I recall, uh, I don't know what that don't recall the details of what of what that exact formula is, but um, but uh, let's see. But you 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 get to get a simple majority in a given state, say like New York, uh, the Democratic candidate might get uh, 55% of the vote and maybe uh, the Republican gets 90, uh, uh, 45% of the vote. Uh, all the electors would, uh, would go to the Democratic candidate even though the uh, even though the Democratic candidate did not get an overwhelming majority of uh, the popular vote, just a simple majority. Uh, so that's how 
you know, uh, why uh, the decisions of the Electoral College can conflict with the popular decision made by the people. So, in other words, I think we can conclude that there's a certain amount of um, um, corruption in terms of political process. So as much as we like to believe that, in fact, the political process is open and, and fair, the reality is there's a lot of manipulation behind the scene, a lot of corruption that takes place to ensure that certain people uh, are getting access to these offices. Uh, Brother Robert, all right, now, this is, I, I find this very, very interesting. You know, the conservative mindset, to me, is very, very fascinating because they don't deal with reality. They have these, you have these certain precepts in terms of how the world, how the world is organized. And from that flow, there flowed the reality, the perceptional reality. And oftentimes, that reality is not based upon anything real, but based upon simply what's in their head. So I find it very, very extraordinary. Uh, one of the things, when they talk about, um, you, know, you know, black voter suppression, uh, one of the things conservatives often say is that um, blacks as a group or African people as a group um, uh, share of voting is, is, is somewhat sufficient or equal to that of other groups. Uh, but what they don't talk about the fact, when you talk about the voting rates, what they don't talk about, they don't talk about the fact that um, voting rates has nothing to do with the number of people who are disqualified from voting. So do you think this is a calculated ploy, or do you think this is just uh, when it's emblematic of the way conservatives think? Well, the conservatives are in a world where they are, like you said, this reality has nothing to do with it. It's all sub- subjective, and uh, it seems like, you know, the money money gets in their eyes and, and uh, it calls up their, their viewpoint of everything. Uh, uh, they speak from the standpoint of, of, a, of, of, of a, you know, some kind of elite, elite group that... Uh, that has an interest that, is, that that requires a lot of spin on it, on reality. They have to spin it to make it serve their interest. And uh, so, you know, the black people are, are being suppressed from the from the vote uh, and voter, voter IDs and voter tests were required in order to get the vote and and. Uh, in one way or another, this still today. Today is still being suppressed, and uh, and trying to make requirements that will that will ensure that that the black population will be more more impacted by by these requirements. Uh, they they think they want to they want to present it as if it's some kind of objective thing. Uh, trying to prevent voters fraud and etc., but uh, but that's all just their spin. And they want everybody to see the world the way they see, see it, accept their definitions. But uh, we have to have an independent viewpoint and see see what's going on for ourselves. And uh, all we, all that's going on on is that they're trying to suppress the people of color from voting because the tendency is to vote against their, their interests of the ruling class. Uh, uh, although it's, you know, it's not as sophisticated as a scientific socialist uh, seeing through 
and uh, and differentiate between the Republicans and the Democrats, but they're still learning about how the Democrats uh, are are just another side of the same coin. They're still learning in the process, and uh, but um, you know the 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 Democrats just put spin on on reality and position it in a way that that uh that uh people don't see what they're really talking about. Thank you. Okay, you're listening to Africa on the move. For those who have uh question or comments, you can give us a call at three two three six seven nine zero eight four one. That's three two three six seven nine zero eight four one and hit one and we acknowledge your last phone numbers. And right now we're going to take a station break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Africa on the Move. Now, before we get to our major topics, there's one other area of concern I want to raise with the panelists. I think this pretty much encapsulates all the problems that we previously we, we talked about, and that is the wealth of corporations. I recently read an article in which 157 of the world's 200 richest entities are corporations, not governments. 
And I'll start off with you, Brother Anthony. Now, given this kind of wealth, corporations' wealth, what does that mean in terms of a vibrant democracy? Is it possible to have corporations controlling so much money and have a democracy too? Is that possible? I don't think so, mainly because uh, they have uh, the ability to buy politicians, to buy political influence. And uh, that's something that the masses of the people don't have because they don't have those kinds of of resources. And in this society, uh, a lot of the working people are disorganized. So they cannot, it is not even possible for them to marshal their resources uh, together sufficiently to uh, influence outcomes. Whereas you have uh, multinationals spending, uh, you know, billions of dollars through various front uh, front groups and whatnot uh, to circumvent, uh, you know, the finance contribution laws. So, uh, you know, it's a very complicated process. But uh, but a key is but and uh, and and but the, the, the true democracy is not possible because those those who who control the resources are the ones who uh, who, who decide who, who gets political authority over the people. But I got to ask you this: uh, one of the things that during the Obama's second term. When they pass Citizens United, uh, they say that money equals speech. Now, one of the things that if you say if the position is money equals speech, then obviously people have more money, uh, have more speech. And so, therefore, by, work, by virtue of wealth, they're able to be heard where people who don't have any money are, are not heard. Uh, is that a fundamental problem as far as America is concerned? Certainly, uh you know, it's a problem for the working class, uh, um, the, you know, because we don't have the money, we don't have the resources, and, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, the more money you have, the, the more you can advertise, the more you can get publicized, the more you can sway public opinion. And so the more money you have, uh, um, the better chances you have of, of getting your way, and um, this is a self-perpetuating system that way. The more money you have, the more you can perpetuate the system and maintain the status quo. And so it's a real problem for the working class because we are, we are, we are, we we don't have the money, and uh, and uh, um, that's that's just the bottom line. Thank you. So, brother. So, Brother Robert, is it safe to say that both Democrats and Republicans are, are sold out to corporations? Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, they are. They are run by corporations. Uh, both the Democrat and Republican Party are run by corporate. Corporate money is what funds them, and uh, uh, and that's why they keep voting to, to perpetuate corporate needs, uh, corporate greed, and corporate needs. Uh, uh, being perpetuated by the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, uh, they 
they they try to you know they they want as best money as they can get, so they appeal to to the masses of people and and the, the working class and et cetera to donate to the party, and people do donate to these parties, but the, the bulk of the money comes from the corporate corporate the both the money that they concern about is the corporate money, and uh, they they make sure that they look out for the corporate interests. And that's that's the problem we're faced with. Uh, uh, the, the the corporate corporate uh, money and corporate interest is what dominates both of these parties, um, and that's that's just the bottom line. Thank you. You know, Brother Anthony, inevitably the questions raised: Why are corporations so wealthy? Uh, you know, there are so many factors, but among them are situations like tax cuts. Uh, tax uh, avoiding schemes, business friendly, tr- business friendly trade and investments, and the thing is, brother Anthony, that we're, we're not just talking about the United States, but we're talking about throughout the Western world. We have all these kind of financial schemes to ensure the the, the financial empowerment of a, of a small number of people. Now, often we talk about the term of neoliberalism. Maybe I want you to talk a little bit about neoliberalism and what that means for people in, in America in terms of low wages. Uh, lack of jobs, lack of quality housing, lack of proper education. Sure, neoliberalism is uh, is the latest manifestation of capitalism, and uh, it is um, and is is really a manifestation of the old divide and conquer techniques that are used by. Uh, the corporations in order to maintain their political control over U.S. society. Uh, they, um, uh, you, you have a problem in which, um, you know, uh, tax cuts for the wealthy are the order of the day because uh, the, uh, one of the tenets of neoliberalism is the trickle-down theory. That the uh, that the uh, that the more money uh, the wealthy have, the more they'll uh, they allocate uh, to those who are less fortunate. History has not shown that to be the case. Uh, the more uh, the more money the bourgeoisie hoards, uh, the more they tend uh, they tend to keep. They don't share. Only to maintain their positions of political power, and um, it's a major impediment uh, to our, uh, uh, you know, to our people. A bigger impediment uh, is uh, neocolonialism, which is uh, the dominant manifestation of imperialism. That oppresses African people today, and neocolonialism, to put it concisely, is a system of capitalism in which, uh, uh, let's see, uh, people have nominal power. Uh, they may have the ability to fly, uh, to fly their own flags or have their own anthem. But their uh, but the economy of that society is controlled from outside, or subjugated by outside forces. 
uh, namely the uh, neoliberals that I talked about earlier. So uh, this is a major problem and the biggest impediment to political unification and the advancement of the African Revolution. Okay, brother, brother Robert. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, Global Justice now, an organization uh, that's committed to global justice, they want the UN uh, to ha- adopt a treaty to hold corporations accountable. When we talk about accountability, we're talking about things like corruption, climate change, inequality. All of these things exist here in the U.S. and throughout the world in response to government. I mean, corrupt corporate corruption and greed. Um, now, the reality is that because the corporations control so much money, they control the policies of, of, the, of, the, independent, of the, in the respective governments. Uh, so my question is to you, Brother Robert. Realistically, can we expect the U.N. to adopt treaties to hold corporations accountable for all the problems that they create? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, the representatives of the U.N., uh, you know, uh, represent the interests of, of their various countries, and their countries are usually dominated by corporations and uh, and, and uh, playing out the interests of, of those corporations usually. And uh, uh, it's not impossible that the, the U.N. might give, give some kind of lip service to, to a corporate greed and, and try to regulate corporations, but, uh, but uh, the, the, the the power of the UN is, is just not there in terms of being actually able to actually enforce that, that kind of regulation. Uh, the UN, the UN is 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 a is, a, is an organization that uh, um, is dominated by the U.S. Uh, interests uh, for the most part, and uh, and uh, the U.S. of course is the most corporate dominated place on the earth. And so I don't see the UN doing anything uh, from the top down. I think it's going to have to be some bottom up and some reorganized, reorganized governments uh, by the people within them before its real change can take place. Thank you. So I guess with to conclude, I think we can say that uh, the more neoliberalism intensifies, the more the problems of you know, homelessness. Uh, lack of jobs, uh, lack of uh, decent wages, uh, lack of uh, quality schools is going to continue to go go south. So I think that's important that people understand that when they look at the misery index and society understand why things doing going where they are, it's not an accident, it's by design. And people are actually constantly uh, plotting to ensure that people, increasingly more and more people, you know, uh, find themselves part of the misery index. And so this so the hopelessness that people feel often manifests itself in terms of people using drugs, um, uh, people killing themselves, people uh, doing all kinds of maladaptive things in order to deal with the reality. But I think the, the reality, I think, for people should be is that we should understand the nature of these systems and begin to move toward, toward changing, eliminating these systems. But the only way we're going to do that is through mass organization. And it's important that people understand that, that all the problems that we, that we share I'm not going anywhere uh, because the system is in place to make sure that these problems exist. They don't have to exist. They exist because those people in power want them to exist, and it's important that people understand that. Now, let's head toward our uh, articles for tonight. 
And let's get, begin with this one. I'll start with you, Brother Anthony. We'll talk about conspiracy against Venezuela. In order to talk about this piece, uh, one of the things I think we have to, have to acknowledge is that, you know, when we talk about the history of national security, it's a very antiquated history. Uh, when we talk about Jefferson's empire of liberty, he's talking about U.S. expansion and domination of the world, not just this region but the entire world, and destruction of the Indians. So in that context, when, Je- when Jefferson talks about his empire of liberty, in essence, he's talking about imperialism. Am I right or am I wrong, Brother Anthony? You are correct. And, uh, the, and uh, his works and the Monroe Doctrine laid the foundation for uh, U.S. foreign policy and is still in full effect to this day. And uh, because uh, during the last 20 years, during the uh, Venezuelan Revolution, Venezuela has stood up for the poor and oppressed throughout the world, especially in Central South America, the Caribbean, and Africa. And that, and I'm giving this as a backdrop so that people understand why is it that the U.S. hates Venezuela so much? And uh, the reason for that is, for the reasons just stated, and also uh, Venezuela has uh, has a very large reserve of petroleum, and uh, the U.S. wants control of that resource again. Okay, all right, brother. Brother Robert, uh, Brother Anthony alluded to, to the Monroe Doctrine. In addition to the Monroe Doctrine, there's a concept called the Manifest Destiny, which is the uniqueness of the U.S. and its institutions. In other words, often today you hear this term American exceptionalism, and people often don't understand what they mean when they say American exceptionalism. In fact, what they're talking about is the, the right or the right or the, or, the, or, the, or the ability of America to undermine uh, people's sovereignty, uh, their uh, autonomy, or their self-determination. It has nothing in terms of the uniqueness in terms of America being a great place. It has to do, with, in fact, its ability to dominate. What is your perception in terms of American exceptionalism, Brother Robert? Yes, American exceptionalism is, is, a, is just the imperialism of America, the fact that it was, a, it was one of the last frontiers of of, of, of of, uh, of where the Europeans had not uh, dominated, and uh, it was it was it was the West with expansion, and uh, and uh, you know it's, it's, it's somehow it's supposed to be unique or something because uh, because uh, America was able to to uh, grow and and develop as a as a government uh, uh, off the backs of the of the Native American and African American African people, and uh, and you know this 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 was this was maybe unique to America in, in that in that historically uh, you know obviously everybody didn't develop the same same way, but it's, but it's just imperialism and colonialism and capitalism at its worst, and uh, you know the U.S. The U.S. is uh, is has been a, 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 a frontier, so to speak, 
people and uh and people that immigrated here and 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 uh it was the last last open space uh really um in the west and so so it is unique that way because just because of his history but it's but in terms of capitalism and imperialism and colonialism it's the same old old story european dom domination and exploitation of people of color and that's the bottom line thank you that's a very good point, Rob, because one of the things often people talk about uh, American freedoms. And in fact, those who understand the history understand when they talk about American freedoms, they talk about the right to dominate people of colors, people in the so-called uh, geographical south, and take their resources and, and, and keep them impoverished. So with those of us who understand and understand when they talk about freedoms, what they're actually talking about. For a lot of people who use that term, who don't understand what they're saying, they've simply heard it on television, so they keep using these terms, freedoms, without understanding what they're what they're really saying, and uh, thank you very much for the response, brother Robert, brother Anthony. Uh, the Bush, doctrine, we we you know we can't talk about conspiracy against the without talking about the Bush doctrine. Uh, one of the things the Bush doctrine talked about was the so-called war on terror. Uh, in other words, it was all about maintaining U.S. domination militarily at any cost. Uh, irrespective of how many people lose their lives, it's not really important. What is important. It's a domination of the U.S. in terms of, of protecting the, 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 the ruling class interest. Brother Anthony, could you talk a little bit about the Bush doctrine in terms of war on terror and what it means in terms of all of these wars that have been waged throughout the world? It, it means that, uh, that, the, that the U.S. working class is going to bear the brunt of the cost of these wars, for one thing. And also, uh, what a lot of people don't understand, uh, when, uh, when the U.S. politicians talk about freedom, uh, free, uh, uh, you know, freedoms that associate with a democracy, they're talking about freedom for the European ruling class. Not, and uh, people tend to forget that the U.S. Con uh, uh, con when the U.S. Constitution was written over 200 years ago, Af uh, it did not have Africans in mind because the majority of Africans at that time period were enslaved. So, uh, so, so the so the thing about though. Uh, uh, a lot of the, the tenets that are associated with the Constitution were not meant to apply to us originally, and uh, and uh, and and a, 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 a lot of Africans don't understand this, especially those who who mechanistically, without much thought, go 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 go, uh, go into. Uh, uh, these election days and vote, and it's almost like being like voting blindly, because uh, because you do it without any any not uh, any sufficient knowledge of the history of the party, uh, the the stance of the candidates, and the very racist nature of this uh, current duopoly that governs this society. So, uh, so in terms of uh, 
you know, this is not a, a true democracy by any chance and was never meant to be. Okay. Brother Robert, in terms of this attack against Venezuela, we've got to talk a little bit about the philosophy of national security. And I think this is important that people get this, and it makes sense of why the U.S. is constantly attacking, you know, non-white nations around the world uh, every time they attempt to utilize uh, uh, or to, uh, util- well, actually utilize socialism in terms of, you know, political planning. Uh, one, of the, one of the philosophical tenets of national security says that all countries must tell U.S. values. Now, when we talk about U.S. values, Brother brother Robert, what, what are we talking about? Um, clearly, when we talk about U.S. values, when you talk about anything like socialism, that's a bad thing because any country that implements socialism means that the U.S. won't have the opportunity uh, to exploit their resources and their people. And so as far as the United States is concerned, that is a bad thing. But can you talk a little bit about U.S. values in, in, the, in the sense that, um, you know, how um, uh, how and name how ridiculous this concept is? Well, U.S. values is about colonialism and imperialism in deeds and democracy in words. Um, the, the prime example of, of U.S. values would be Thomas Jefferson and his liberalism. Um, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, yet he was writing about independence and, and uh, all being equal and Etc. Etc. And uh, so, in words, it all sounds good. We just took the words and just abstracted them from what's going on in reality. Then everything would be fine. But uh, but you know, he's not talking about all people. He's talking about an exclusive group of property owners, white settlers, and uh, and uh, their rights. And this and it's the same with the U.S. When the U.S. talks about freedom and democracy, they talk, they're talking about for a special group of people and not for the masses of people. It's, 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 it's uh, democracy in words, but it's colonialism, imperialism, and capitalism in deeds. And uh, that's, that's what's going on. Uh, people people in Venezuela and Cuba see through these things and uh, – and are and and trying to get their share of their own resources, and uh, not allow the U.S. To, to to take their resources without compensation. And uh, and uh, this is a problem for the U.S. The U.S. If the U.S. can't can't expand its corporations and its corporate greed everywhere, everywhere, then then uh, that that government is. is a, is a problem that uh, needs to be overthrown. Needs to be, have regime change. It's not. It's not supporting human rights, etc., etc., etc. Because this is all U.S. rhetoric, and uh, we have to, like you know, with Thomas Jefferson and, and historically with all the U.S. presidents, we have to separate their words from their deeds and see what's really going on. Thank you. You know, Brother Anthony, there are two additional philosophical terms of national security, and let me just uh, raise those briefly. One says that all countries must do as told by the U.S. or face military retribution. Uh, the second one says that U.S. physical territories or its colonies must be maintained at any cost, and any violation of the, the ge- geography of their satellites will be cause for attack by the U.S. 
Now, one of the things I think is very, very interesting, Brother Anthony, is that when you talk about, um, you know, nations implementing socialism, it's not a problem in terms of white nations implementing socialism. And you have your, your Scandinavian nations who are very proud of their socialism and want to have it any other way. But yet, the West won't attack them. But the moment you have a country like Cuba, like Venezuela, or Nicaragua, talking about socialism, and, or, or even um, um, uh, Grenada, talking about socialism, all of a sudden, they face a military barrage. They're under military attack. What, why is this discrepancy? Why not attack white nations that practice socialism? Why just uh, African nations in the global south who practice socialism? Brother Anthony? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, oh I'm there? sorry. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there. Yeah, I lost my frame of thought for a moment. Uh, let's see. Uh, the 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 situation is uh that um that uh that that um africa suffers from underdevelopment as a consequence of uh world imperialism and uh and uh walter rodney talked about this extensively in his book how europe underdeveloped africa Europe was able to emerge out of uh, feudalism as a result of uh, uh, the uh, capital it accumulated from raping resources from the Western Hemisphere using uh, American Indian and African labor. And uh, so uh, you have this situation where uh the uh imperialists want to main keep Africa and uh Central and South America and the Caribbean under their control because if they were to become liberated that would spell the end of imperialism. And uh and uh, and Europe would not ha uh you know, uh, you know, be able to dominate the non-European population the way it does, and uh, that is why, uh, let's see, the U.S. is so opposed to the expansion of socialism, especially in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, uh, you know, if people would study the history of Grenada. That would prove a case in point. Let me say that the, the, the so-called socialist countries in Denmark and Sweden, etc., uh, uh, came out of that social democracy movement, um, and they have a reform, social, a reform of capitalism. Um, you know, with some instituted some socialist reform, the same way we did in the U.S. with Social Security and uh, and uh, Medicare and some other things. These are reforms, but uh, but um, in terms of the overall capitalism, um, their basic system is still capitalism. Uh, you know, uh, the corporations still uh, are operating the. And uh, and uh, it's still a profit-driven system for the most part, um, but they 
have instituted some reforms. Thank you. And I would add also that they don't that none of the, the those countries in Europe spend the uh, spend the the, uh, the enormous sums sums on the military that the U.S. does. So they have resources for infrastructure development, which is why uh, in some European countries the mass transit system is way better than what we than what exists in the U.S. Uh, the Marxism and is this ideology and and uh, was developed in in Europe mostly first, and social democracy was a movement movement uh, that Lenin and the Bolsheviks um, showed as a reformist movement, and 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 uh, and advocated scientific socialism. That's what the Soviet Union was built around scientific socialism, but uh, but social democracy uh, as a movement. Was was very prevalent in in uh, in those Scandinavian countries. Thank you. Okay, before we move on to the war in Venezuela, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Africa on the Moon. Love is, is love is, is love is, is love is. 
Welcome back to Africa on the Move. Now, let's talk a little bit about the war on Venezuela. Uh, one of the things, Brother Anthony, uh, you know, there's a psychological operation utilizing the country of Colombia uh, to antagonize uh, the Venezuelan by actually um, amassing his troops on the Venezuelan border. And the question to you, Brother Anthony, is this. One of the things, when we look at a place like Colombia, which is over impoverished, that you would think that they would try to implement similar reforms like in Venezuela or Cuba in which you provide for the masses of people in terms of their human needs. But yet the U.S. so 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 easily utilized the Colombians to carry out U.S. foreign policy. Could you explain a little bit about that contradiction? Yes. Um, Colombia... Uh, for nearly 200 years since it, since it obtained its independence from Spain, like most of uh, the rest of Central and South America, has been under neo-colonial domination by the U.S. In other words, Colombia has sham independence, uh, as uh, Nkrumah calls it. Uh, they have all the outward trappings of sovereignty, but their economy is controlled by the U.S. Uh, I believe I, um, if I uh, remember correctly, I think the chief ex the, the chief export product is coffee. Uh, and um, uh, let's see. And um, you know, it's been under neocolonial domination for the last couple of hundred uh, years. Uh, just like uh, Cuba once was Venezuela, uh, Bolivia, and uh, some other countries. Uh, Colombia, unfortunately, has not been able uh, uh, to shake off uh, the yoke of neocolonial domination. And that's primarily because um, the people are very disorganized and oppressed. Uh, let's see, they are, um, as a matter of fact, uh, the African population of, of Colombia tonight is battling for its survival. So uh, you have a very different situation. Uh, Colombia is a lot like what Venezuela used to be prior to its revolution, uh, if you will. And uh, Colombia is being used... Uh, by the U.S. to attack Venezuela. Uh, the U.S. doesn't want to intervene in direct, directly because of the popular, uh, you know, uh, criticism it would arouse around the world. So it's trying to use Colombia to try to destabilize uh, Venezuela. And the reason uh, for for why the U.S. wants to um, uh, to, to to stabilize Venezuela is it wants a government in place that'll do the U.S.'s bidding. In other words, return Venezuela into a neo-colonial state, and uh, that is why uh, Colombia is being used because its ruling class is very uh it has a lot in common with the US ruling class. They want to maintain uh imperialist domination and control over the resources. 
Okay, if you have a question or a statement you want, we'll recognize your last four, and you can make your comment or ask your question. Brother Robert, uh, I find this interesting, but, you know, in order to understand the world situation, uh, particularly related to politics and, or the, the way the U.N. functions, one of the things, we've got to look at the role of the U.S. in terms of how it manipulates these, these, these international institutions. Uh, for instance, the U.N. Human Rights Council recently passed a resolution they want to permit humanitarian aid to go to Venezuela. The problem is that Venezuela doesn't have a humanitarian problem. The problem with Venezuela is that the U.S. consciously, politically, uh, creates a situation in which the people can't even control their own money, which cannot engage in trade. So clearly uh, the U.S. is making a concerted attempt to ensure that it impoverishes Venezuela. Now, when, in terms of, you know, the, you know, this resolution passed permitting humanitarian aid, uh, one of the dangers of that, brother, brother Robert, is that you know, just like the White Hammers in, in Syria, the White Hammers are used by the Western nations for propaganda purposes and also to facilitate the flow of weaponry to so-called ISIS in, in, in Syria. So my concern is that if the if the humanitarian aid were actually allowed into Venezuela, then a similar kind of thing will happen, in which the aid workers be used for propaganda purposes and also to flo- to, to ensure. Repertory gets in the hand of the right wing in Venezuela. What is your view on that, Brother Robert? Yeah, well, um, humanitarian aid is, has been a, 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 a cover for all sorts of uh, aid, aid um, money flowing into different countries in order to, to carry out the interests of, of whoever is, is providing it. Uh, the U.S. government, of course, is, is only interested in perpetuating the interest of the corporate class and, and uh, so that they can get the resources of whatever country they're, they're in. And, and certainly in Venezuela, they, they want to, uh, to regime change. Uh, they want to get the, the socialist-leaning government out of there and get get a more capitalist oriented government in and uh and, and they would do whatever they can uh in to, to do that. And uh, that means putting in some money uh, uh to to these opposition groups that are that are trying to overthrow the government under the guise of humanitarian aid, then that's what they'll do. But but uh uh, uh just there's no disinterested aid going into these countries. Uh, uh, they're backed by by uh, corporate interests, and uh, and and they may be called what called humanitarian aid, but but it's, it's going to the opposition groups that are that um, that are trying to overthrow uh, the government of Venezuela. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Uh, Brother Anthony, um, you know, that's a concept utilized by the U.S. government called authorization use of military force. And this is a document they use in which they put the country and tell the, the, the head of state in order for the U.S. to operate in the country militarily, they got to sign this document releasing the U.S. from legal liabilities. The U.S. is free to commit human rights abuses in terms of systematic killing of its population. Without any without any legal li- uh, liabilities, 
but more importantly, one of the things about this authorization military force is there's a, a term called the collective self-defense. And what this is, um, in other, the military force used by the U.S. Uh, is justified when it's done so under the guise of assisting a partner. What do you think they mean by that, a partner? What are, they, what are they talking about in terms of U.S. foreign policy? What is this partner they keep talking about? The partner is the country they they intend to invade, and um, and they gonna and they want to they gonna use a humanitarian rationale. Some is uh, somewhat similar to what they've done in uh, Libya, Grenada. Uh, you know, uh, and, num- uh, and numerous other countries, including Haiti, and uh, you know they they take advantage of any sort of uh, political unrest that exists as a rationale for um, you know uh, you know uh, in- imposing this particular policy. And uh, and uh, looking at the media accounts recently, it looks like Venezuela might be in their crosshairs. And I think I would add that because of uh, Venezuela's contributions uh, to the African liberation struggle and to the struggle for oppressed peoples around the world, that that is the reason why. Uh, the Venezuelan uh, government has aroused the hatred and anger of the U.S. ruling class. You know, you know, one of the things, you know, Brother Robert, um, you know, recently a Virginia senator asked the Pentagon to de- define exactly what a partner is. Of course, the Pentagon didn't, didn't respond. Well, it seems to me, doesn't the Pentagon, you know, work? Uh, isn't the Pentagon effectively part of the government? Is it? subject to check and balances. So how is it that the Pentagon can get away with not answering the question in terms of defining who a partner is? How can they get away with that? I don't understand that. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, well, there's a lot of things that are good, that are, you know, uh, baffle the man when it comes to the U.S. government and its accountability to to uh, the world, especially when it comes to, to uh humanitarian and, and human rights issues. Uh, uh, the Pentagon, you know, is is like a little power into itself. Uh, um, the, 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 the everybody in Congress is, is devoted to spending as much money in terms of defense of the, of the country as possible. And the Pentagon is the recipient of all this money, and uh, and so it's almost like the FBI and the Hoover and stuff that comes like a little powerhouse in itself, and uh, and um, and people don't want to go against it. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, if, if, if the rule of law, if the Constitution was enforced. You know, the Pentagon would would have to account for for what it's doing and uh and be responsible for Congress and and um but uh, you know it's, it's politics it's just politics uh uh people who see 
who see all who all look at the world the same way tend to grease each other's elbows and grease each other's hands and uh, keep going and uh, and that's what's going on now. Trump and 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 Congress and the Republicans especially and the Democrats too are uh, um I like what the Pentagon is doing and and uh, agree with what the Pentagon is doing. And so they don't they don't hold them accountable to anything. Uh, thank you. You know, you know, Brother Anthony, you alluded to some of the some examples in terms of so called collective self defense this whole issue in terms of what a partner is. But there's some additional examples also, on one of which is the, when we talk about the, the uh, Iraq-Kuwaiti uh, war, uh, that was a war in which the U.S. encouraged the Kuwaits to steal Iraqi oil, justifying U.S. military invasion of, of Iraq. Also, there was a situation where the creation of the ISIS and the Boko Haram to create a justification and militarization of Africa. And uh, recently we talked about, you know, in, we talked about instructing Colombia to encroach on Venezuelan borders uh, so as to create a provocation. So all these are examples of collective self-defense. But it seems to me when we look at this term in terms of collective self-defense, in essence what we're talking about is U.S. criminality. That's what we're talking about. Because what it systematically does is it denies people the right to autonomy, it denies nations the right to self-determination, it denies people a right in terms of creating you know, their own government for the benefit of their own people. Is this a correct assumption of mine, or is it off base? It's correct, and uh, and uh, is something that has been holding back uh, the revolutionary process uh, for years. But uh, let's see. But the uh, the counter to that is is, uh, is information and education, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, it's important that. Uh, especially non-conventional uh, media sources become very important uh, in this battle uh, for ideas because, um, uh, let's see, uh, the media in the U.S., uh, which is controlled uh, by the ruling class, tends to paint the U.S. model of society as the greatest thing in the world. And uh, people in the U.S. especially don't know that there are other ways to live, that there are alternatives, that uh, that not everywhere in the world do you see the degree of racism that you see in the U.S., for example. And uh, And there are societies in which human life is given a priority. Over things Which is hardly the case here Okay Alright now let's go to our third And final article for tonight And that deals with Cuba sonic attacks And this is a A, 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 a case of supposedly uh, U.S. Um, foreign dignitaries or, or diplomats if you will uh, were subjected to some kind of noise in which they complained of hearing loss and speech problems. Supposedly this affected 21 people, but what happened was that uh, the U.S. government went to the University of Penn. Of course, University of Penn is their go-to uh, institution whenever they want you know, some propaganda. So what happened was the University of Penn uh, uh, 
uh, uh, printed an article in the American Medical Journal stating that, in fact, that these people were uh, victims of some kind of sonic blast. Of course, that wasn't true. What happened was that, uh, according to the scientists from Edinburgh, Sergio Sella and Dr. Robert McIntosh, that similar didn't happen. And that was reinforced by German physicists who specialized in autotology, who stated that um, the findings made no sense based upon, you know, the symptoms. Uh, so even the State Department had to conclude that this was a lie, that in fact that what they were suffering from was collective stress reaction. So my question to you, Brother Anthony, now, now, given, now, now given the propensity for the University of Penn to lie like this in American Medical Journal, if you can lie in a, in a medical journal, you can lie almost anywhere. So when we talk about institutions in the United States, why why should we trust the news coming you know coming you know in, um, out of Washington or coming from the establishment? Should we trust the, should we trust the news? Uh, no, uh, I don't think you should trust the news, uh, which is why it's important to have more than one source of information, which most people either don't have or don't have the time to pursue. Uh, let's see. Uh, and uh, let's see. And, uh, you know, when you're when the situation is as intense as this one, when uh, society is waging war against you, it's important that you have diverse sources of information in order to get at the truth. Because as my uh, friend and mentor once told us, uh, in, in, uh, capitalism does lies all the time. It doesn't just lie just some of the time, it lies all the time. And when it tells the truth, it's the result of a double lie. So in, situation, in a situation like that, there's a lot of information that has to be sifted through in order to get at the truth. And uh, the, uh, the only hedge against that is to have more than one source of information about what's going on in the world. And uh, we should pay especially close attention to our brothers and sisters that live and struggle in other parts of the world, because they 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 they're able to see things that we cannot. Brother Robert, so why did they, why did the State Department lie on Cuba? Why did they say it was a sonic attack? So we know that wasn't the case. So why did they lie on Cuba? What did they hope to benefit by lying on Cuba? Well, uh, you know, obviously, the U.S. government and Cuba. Uh, uh, two diametrically opposed systems, political economies, and uh, and uh, their philosophies are different. Uh, capitalism versus socialism, and 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 it's the goal of capitalism to to destroy socialism wherever it can be found. And Cuba is is an example of socialism at work. And uh, so the resources of Cuba. Are now available to the capitalists to exploit here from the U.S., which is, which is, and it's always looking for markets and places to exploit. And uh, 
Cuba is taking the taking their economy off the table table and so, you know, regime change and uh opposition to anything the Cubans have to say is the order of the day for the for the US government. Uh uh they they hate Cuba, uh and uh will do anything they can to discredit Cuba in any way they can and um the truth has nothing to to do with it. Um, the truth can be manipulated in, in order to, to, to perpetuate their interests. And uh, so this is what's going on. Uh, uh, the U.S. government is just opposed to Cuba. Thank you. Your brother, Anthony, the State Department scientists concluded that the the symptoms of the hair would result in collective stress reactions. Now, collective stress reaction is a result of feeling isolated or feeling of loathing from others or um, or feeling or, 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 the, or the distrust that they feel as a result of being in a hostile surrounding. So, of course, being in Cuba, and the Cubans tend to be very educated when it comes to um, uh, U.S. exploitation, uh, particularly aware of the, the, the blockade of Cuba. So understanding the U.S. government doesn't have its best interest, and so therefore its response to the uh, Americans over there is less than, at least the American uh, diplomats, it's not as cordial as it could be, some because of the mistrust. And that results in the kind of the, uh, the, the, those symptoms that manifest themselves in the uh, diplomats. So given that reality, um, um, you know, what does that say about the terms of the diplomats? Um, it seems to me that if you're going to have diplomats in a foreign land and you're at war with that country, then they got to be psychologically prepared to deal with the feeling of isolation or the feeling of being loathed simply because you're in a country in which the people understand that philosophically you're, you're all about their destruction. So what is it about these diplomats that made it possible for them to succumb into a feeling of isolation and feeling of being loathed? Mm. Uh, good question. Um, I think, well, what, what, you know, the symptoms that we're experiencing were not the result of a sonic uh, uh, attack. Uh, I, 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 can, I agree with you, it was probably uh, stress-related and uh, probably not something out of the ordinary. Uh, one of the, the reasons why uh, this article is entitled the 40% mystery is that um, is that uh, that is uh, there is a certain threshold at which um, you know that that there's nothing out of the ordinary happening to to the uh, to the person. That threshold for most psych- uh, psychological studies is five percent. Yet the University of Pennsylvania used forty percent, and so um, and and that higher percentage would trigger a false positive for uh, for for any number of issues, and that's why the Edinburgh University instructors took issue with what the findings uh, of the U.S. government. Okay, okay, panel. We're about to conclude, so I'm going to ask everybody to make a closing statement, and uh, we'll start with Brother Robert. Brother Robert, your closing statement. 
Yeah, it's been interesting. So uh, uh, I just think we have to, we, we need to get organized as people uh, because the countries in Europe, uh, uh, the, social, the social democratic countries, uh, there's all the result of parties. Uh, we have a social democratic party uh, that, that uh, and uh, that's why they, they have the, the reforms that they had uh, in the Soviet Union. They had a communist party, and that's why they had the revolution they had. Um, in Cuba, they had a communist party. That's why they had the revolution they had. In Venezuela, they have a socialist party. And so we need we need to get organized and uh, uh, because the Democrats and Republicans are not going to do it. And uh, we need we need to, uh, to have the parties in the social interests of, of the mass of the people, and uh, that's the bottom line. So thank you and good night. Thank you, Brother Robert. Uh, Brother Anthony, you're close and stay. I know about your organization. Certainly. Um, my closing thought for tonight is that we need to get organized. We need to form our own political organizations first before joining up or forming coalitions with other people. Uh, To learn more about the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, please visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. And uh, thanks for having me on the program tonight. Have a good evening. Uh, thanks for, uh, for being on tonight. All right, I want to thank the Radio radio Rebels for their participation in a nice program, and I want to thank the audience for listening. We'll see you next week on Africa on the Move. Zero, longitude zero, planned by the Creator. Cisanthropus was the first man found on the Earth. That Earth was the motherland, Africa. We know that without total understanding of what happened in the past, it would be difficult to relate to the future. We know that within the structure of the music, there should be a message, and the message should be truth. So now, we give you Africa, the center of the world.